the Sunday Sermons Podcast. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this to all of his followers, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to start here this morning because we're going to be talking about the one of the uh, lesser known spiritual disciplines called secrecy. And before we go there, I want to make sure you know it's not wrong to let people know the good things we do. If we do it for the right reasons, if we're doing it to glorify God and just because it needs done, it's a good thing. But secrecy is also a very powerful thing on top of that. The, the truth is, some things just can't be kept secret. You, you have to, Somebody has to know. Recently, I saw online, I think it was on Pinterest, I can't remember, but there was this nurse that um, she found out her patient, who was in there for a long time, had to take his dog to the um, shelter and give up his dog that he'd had for years and years and years because he had nobody to take care of it. So she went that day and adopted his dog so that she could bring it every day and visit him, let the dog visit him and give it back when he was done. Isn't that amazing? And she didn't put it on Instagram or wherever it else was. Uh, Somebody else just found out about it. You can't keep stuff like that a secret. And it went viral and it was a big deal. And it's just beautiful. It's not wrong that we found out about it. But she didn't do it so that she'd get internet famous. She did it just to help out one of her patients. Does that make sense? It's all about the why. It's all about why you do what you do. It's all about who you do it for. And that's way more important than the how and the when or how many people know. That's exactly what Jesus himself was saying just a couple verses later in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Because they were just doing it for show. They were doing it, they were perfect as far as keeping the law, but it was all a performance. It was all trying to impress other people. And Jesus said, I I need you to do it for real. That's why we have the spiritual disciplines. That's why once again this year, we've spent several weeks in a row going back through them and remembering that these are the things that actually transform us and actually help us become more like Jesus. We, we don't just fake it better. We don't just appear to be more like Jesus. These are the things that actually change us and shape us. And the truth is, without that, none of us are like Jesus starting out. I love how Rich Mullins said it. He said, surrender, don't come natural to me. I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than take what you give that I need. And I beat my head against so many walls, falling on my knees. And that is the heart that we have to approach God with. We have to say, I can't do this alone. I can't be like Jesus without your help. I can't produce the fruit of the Spirit. I need the Spirit to produce that fruit in me. But these disciplines are the ways that we give God a place to do that, a way to do that, a time to do that, a specific direction to do that in. These are the choices he's given us to make in the process that allow him to do 
the heavy lifting. So are, are we good so far? Does this sound familiar? We're wrapping up today. If you haven't figured this out, this is the end of this. Next week, we start our, our, our Christmas and holiday season series. And, uh, th- but this is where we wrap up today. And one way or another, every single one of these disciplines either rings out the stuff of earth or it helps us to saturate and marinate in the stuff of heaven. One way or another, they get rid of one and, or they fill us up with the other or sometimes both. And today we're going to look at one called secrecy. Secrecy, you see it practiced several different times. Like most of these, you, all of these really, they're very rarely named in scripture. They're never listed in a specific way in scripture. Here are the disciplines you must practice these. You have to read between the lines, see people doing them. But Jesus himself spoke about this. In fact, most of what we know about this particular practice came straight from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Most of Matthew chapter 6 is all about that. For example, he talked about praying in secret and giving in secret. Because when we do that and we trust God to reward us instead of other people to praise us for doing those things, it does something in our heart above and beyond what just doing the right thing does. Do you understand what I mean by that? It's powerful. Jesus in chapter 7, the same sermon, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and on your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. How, How do you know that Jesus knows you? How do you know that you know Jesus? We're told several times that you're gonna get to know him by doing the stuff he told you to do. And a lot of these spiritual disciplines are specifically the ones that help the fastest and the most efficiently. When you spend time studying the Bible and praying, meditating on the things of God and all those other things we've been exploring the last several weeks. These are things that actually, they connect us with God. There's some of the things like Advent and communion and things that we do together do that as well. And the stuff that we do alone is super important. If you're keeping track and filling in blanks this morning, uh, we're gonna start doing that. We're gonna say this out loud together. We become what we do. Would you say that? We become what we do. I've heard this expressed several different ways. Some people have said, uh, fake it till you make it. I don't like that particular phrase because we're not faking anything. Some people, what they mean by that phrase, fake it till you make it, is just do it. Don't wait until you feel like it. Just do it. And if that's what it means, 100% that's what I mean. Okay? Get it done. God says, give, you give. God says, pray, you pray. God says, worship, you worship. Don't wait until the day you're in the mood. Absolutely. But it's not about faking it. It's not about putting on a show. It's not trying to pretend that we are people that it comes naturally to. It's just about obedience. And if that's the heart, if that's how we approach it, then we do become what we do. I'm sure you've got great examples and probably embarrassing examples of how that works in your own life. All of us have some quirky little habits that we do every day that just one day we did it and we did it again, we did it again. Now we don't even think about it, but we have to 
put the toilet paper on the roll that way. We have to squeeze the toothpaste that way. Are you following me on this? There's just really weird little things. We just automatically, we don't make a choice. We don't think about it. It's just how we do life. This is, this is what I do first and second when I first wake up. They're, they're just random things. And we all have, I hope, some things that we do that are part of us now. We, we just really enjoy them in there. But it started with a conscious choice. Maybe one day you just decided, I'm going to start working out, or I'm going to start praying for somebody at this time every day, or I, I don't know what it was, but now you just do that. It's just part of who you are. That's what this means. We become what we do, and specifically what we do repeatedly. What we choose to do repeatedly, and here, if you fill in more blanks, I'm going to read that whole statement here. What we choose to do repeatedly shapes our hearts and our lives. And the potential of what we do together depends on what each of us do alone. See, we can only be as, have enough, we can only have true integrity as a group if we have integrity as individuals. If what we do on our own is real, then we have the potential to do stuff as a group this well. Now, God can do, he can bypass us. God can do anything. He can use any church or any person, whether they want to or not. Throughout the Bible, you see people like Jonah, who was mentioned earlier, didn't even want to serve God, but God used him, okay? I, I get all of that. But what I'm saying is when you really submit to God on an individual level, and if we all do that, And then we come together and we fellowship and we have communion. We do all these other things that we know if we do them with intention, with the right motives, they will shape us. The potential of what this can happen, what can happen when we're together is so much more. Does that make sense? Praise God. Dallas Willard says, we learn to love, to be unknown. Nobody loves that starting out. We have to learn that. We learn to love, to be unknown, and even to accept misunderstanding without the loss of our peace, joy, or purpose. We learn to see our associates in the best possible light, even in the point of our hoping that they will do better and appear better than us. I I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but whatever you do secretly, you tend to accidentally project on other people. So if you tell lies, you tend to always be guarding against somebody lying to you. If you always tell the truth, you're just really shocked when somebody lies to you. Do you understand what I mean by that? If you constantly, I don't know, eat donuts, that's not wrong, I'm just saying, but every day you eat a donut, you're trying to be nice to somebody, you're going to buy them donuts. You just assume everybody eats donuts. Does this make sense? We just project what we do alone. We project that on other people. We just assume this is how this works. And if you, on a daily basis, are doing whatever it takes to surrender yourself to God, to to marinate in the stuff of earth, to let him drain us of the stuff, I'm sorry, the stuff of heaven, let him drain us of the stuff of earth. If you're doing that, you tend to assume that everybody else is doing that too. You're not so judgmental. You're not so, I bet they don't read the Bible as much as I do. When you're really passionately pursuing God, you just start assuming. Now, that you shouldn't assume. I'm not saying that's an entirely good thing. But what I'm saying is this. We learn to give people the benefit of a doubt 
We learn to accept ourselves and accept others by just doing these things, by doing the right thing, period. One of my biggest heroes in history is Corey Ten Boom and her, her whole family, the Ten Boom family. Their story, if you've never read it or seen it, it's a movie and a book. It's called The Hiding Place. It's an incredible story. But when they were creating that little secret room in their house and starting to house people and help them secretly smuggle them out of, the, out of um, where they live so that the Nazis couldn't kill them, they were not thinking about a book deal. They were not thinking about a movie deal. They were just trying to do the right thing. And all of them got thrown into one of the worst concentration camps there were. And all but Corey lost their lives there. It was only just some other people later that found out about this story and knew that it would inspire the rest of us and knew she still had some amazing things to say. And they called her out and asked, would you please start sharing your story? They did what they did just because it was the right thing to do, period. That's secrecy. It's not about not telling anybody. You just can't tell anybody. It's about you just don't. You do the right thing, and that's all there is to it. Uh, That was one of the things I respected about uh, Rich Mullins as well. Uh, He just didn't care at all. Sometimes I think he probably cared too little about how he looked or what he was wearing. I know when he came to Johnson University back in the day when I was there, they refused to let him return because he performed barefoot and in torn jeans and an old T-shirt. And they said, nope, nope, nope. We don't want people like that performing here. And I was like, what? I'm still a missionary kid straight out of the jungle where I remember dad preaching in shorts and flip-flops and a tank top and everybody was cool with that. I was like, what, what is going on? Sorry, don't throw, I'm not throwing dad under the bus. He's dressed up today. But that was cool over there. Anyhow, we'll just... But the way he dealt with money, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He just, he didn't really trust himself with that much money. So he said, I don't ever want to know how much. He put that authority to somebody else. He said, give me a fair salary and all the rest of my money. I want it to go to Native Americans and these other causes. They did that. He didn't tell him, he didn't even know himself how much money he actually made or how much money he gave away. He just collected his salary and moved on with life, kept doing what he was doing. One of the cool stories I read recently from a guy named Mark Hollingsworth who worked with him. Um, well, I read it. I didn't actually talk to Mark. I read this, but just, just to be clear. But he said that um, there was this other Christian man called The Choir. And they really loved Rich Mullins, loved his music, always wanted to meet him. And they did and didn't know it because they were doing a concert in Wichita, Kansas, where Rich lived. And he found out they were performing on a second story Stage like it was this, this, the whole room was up there, and they were having they needed some volunteers, so he just volunteered. He shows up with his hair pulled back in a ponytail and a ball cap on, just the regular old ratty clothes he used most of the time, and just joined in and helped them load and unload. Attended the concert and went on with his way. Never introduced himself, nothing. He just enjoyed the music and the night. And later, Mark Hollingsworth, who was both of their manager, he said, "So did you meet Rich?" He said he was there. They're like, "I, I don't." No. He said, well, he said he helped you unload and unload. And he described him. They're like, oh, my goodness. I did know that. I did see that guy. I had no idea that was Rich Mullins. He didn't tell anybody about that. He didn't do it as a publicity stunt. He never shared that story from the stage. He just wanted to go see the choir concert and help out. 
That's secrecy. Is this, is this connecting? Is this, are you getting this? That's what it is. It's not about you're not allowed to tell anybody what's going on. It's just why would you? And, and when you do it really secretly, when you intentionally do at least a couple of things and you're like, nobody will ever know about this, something does happen in your heart. You feel that, that struggle rising up, that's going to, oh, wow, I didn't realize pride was an issue to this degree. I really want to tell somebody about this. What is wrong with me? It, it wells up and then you get to deal with that problem. There's stuff that goes on. One of the best stories I've ever heard about this, I don't even know for sure that this guy is a believer, but I believe he is. He's a guy named Sir Nicholas Winton from Great Britain. Back in the day when he was just Nicholas Winton, uh, he saved 669 children from being sent to concentration camps. And he was just a guy, just a regular guy. He's a stockbroker in Great Britain. But he found out about World War II was imminent. He found out there was this huge um, refugee camp in Czechoslovakia, and it just broke his heart. And so he took time off, and he flew up there. And he talked to all the people in the camps and all these parents that were desperate to literally do anything to save their children. Later, over 90,000 people from that camp he visited went to Auschwitz, one of the worst ones of all of the camps. But he worked it out. He came back to Great Britain. He asked America, a bunch of other countries. Only Great Britain said yes. They said if he could find homes for a kid, he could save that kid. And so he organized this whole thing with some help from a small group of people he put together. And they flew seven plane loads of kids out and found homes for them. And then the next day, World War II started. So he just went on with his life. He did some other great things with his life. Everybody who had helped him, all those families, they all knew what had happened, but he never talked about it. And 50 years later, the BBC heard about it. And they were like, has anything ever been done for this guy? Has anybody even thanked him? Has any of those kids ever even met him since the day they got off the plane? And they're like, no. So they contacted his wife and she goes, oh yeah, he's still got all this this scrapbook. Then they put this whole cool thing together. I just want to show you a short clip from this. If this story intrigues you, there's actually several little documentaries about him and uh, the full part of this clip on YouTube. But this just, this wears me out. So watch this. Years later, they ask him, why did you keep this a secret? This is such a cool story. Why didn't you tell everybody about it? He said, I, I, I'm quoting him. He said, I didn't really keep it a secret. I just didn't talk about it. Even more inspiring than that is his other thing. They said, so what inspired you to do this? What helped you decide to do this? What, what made you want to try this? And he said, I, he lived by a motto in his life. And it's this, anything that is not actually impossible can be done if one really sets one's mind to do it and is determined that it shall be done. In other words, you can't fly, but if you really wanted to get your pilot's license, you could make that happen. You're going to have to give something else up. You're going to have to save the money. You're going to have to put in the time. You're going to have to go to school. But you could become a pilot. Does that make sense? And the same thing. It's not going to be easy for you to become like Jesus. It's not going to come natural to you. 
But if you put in the time, if you do the things that Jesus told you to do, if you marinate in the stuff of heaven, you can become like Jesus. That's the dream. That's the hope. God empowers us to do his will. Would you say that out loud with me? God empowers us to do his will. When we live with integrity, everything we do becomes worship. He, his will gets done whenever and however we tangibly deepen our awe of God and our allegiance to him. So the three words you're writing down, if you're writing down these words, is empowers, integrity, and deepen. I've heard it said that integrity is what you do when you're all alone. I think that's half true. If what you do when, all you're, all, uh, when you're all alone is completely different than the image you put out there to everybody else, you don't have any integrity. But integrity is what you do alone and what you do in small groups and what you do in big groups and what you do in public. Integrity is what you just do. It's who you really are, period. And, and, and if you really do it in, in private, but you never do it in public, that's a problem too. If you worship God and love God and you read the Bible and you pray and you memorize the scriptures in private, but you never share the gospel with anybody, you never serve anybody, you, you don't prioritize time with other Christians, whatever it else is that we're supposed to be doing in public, that just never happens. That's not integrity either. Integrity is the whole picture. It's that's, that's really you and what you're really becoming because you decide to do it whether you feel like it or not. When we choose to deepen our awe of God, deepen our allegiance to him, something switches, something changes, something shifts in us. And that's what, a big part of what Jesus was talking about when he said God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, not just what God says is right, what is absolutely true, whether we like it or not, we have to harmonize with that, of course, but also we do it from our soul. We do it with the energy, the real person that is us inside these bodies we walk around in. Worship is when we do all of that at the same time. It's when we throw everything at the feet of God. I I love the story and hate it at the same time from Genesis where Abraham sacrifices his son to God, or almost. But if you notice here, let me just read it straight. I love this verse. He says, he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. And we learned just a few weeks ago um, from Boris one of our guest speakers, that he was actually in his 30s at this point. He's just boy compared to Abraham. But he says, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. They didn't know for sure what was going to happen there, but they knew God had commanded it, and they both made a choice. We're going to do it. That's worship. That's allegiance. And when that happens, something shifts inside of you and something shifts in God where he's willing to do something more miraculous and more big and more obvious because he's responding to how we are treating him. I believe that's what this psalmist was talking about when he said, ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. 
Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. We don't worship God because we like it. We don't worship God because we just enjoy singing songs or praying or lighting candles or whatever it is that is our favorite way to worship. We worship because God deserves it. We, do, we worship God because he's great and nothing else works except falling on our feet before him. Psalm 95, 6 says, come, let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. In Rich Mullins' song, Hold Me, Jesus, that I already quoted a bit from earlier, he, he says, hold me, Jesus, for I'm shaking like a leaf. You've been king of my glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? These intimate moments we have with God where there's just no, we're not faking it anywhere if we have true integrity, but it's just there's, what else do you tell somebody who already knows everything than the total truth? And in those moments, he he meets us, he changes us when we are on our knees before him just because we realize how big he is. Stuff happens. Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. A couple weeks ago, we had a whole bunch of uh, like basins and sponges and stuff. I hope you remember that. that. The whole point of that was just so that you would, so I hope it worked. But the idea was that we need help to empty ourselves of the stuff of earth and we have to saturate ourselves and marinate in the stuff of heaven because stuff's gonna hit you in life and whatever you're full of is what's gonna come out. And if you're full of the stuff of heaven, when life squashes you, that's what's gonna drip. That's what's gonna spray everywhere. That's gonna get on you and everybody else around you is that stuff that you're full of. And if you're full of the wrong stuff, that's what's going to come out. doesn't matter what you believe. It does matter. In that situation, it doesn't matter what you believe or what you think or what you feel in your heart. It matters what you've saturated yourself with. That's what's going to spray out. Does that make sense? Jesus said, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. We're gonna end this where we started out. Romans chapter 12, verse one and two. Several weeks ago, this was the first scripture that we explored. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Mark Hollingsworth has a blog that he wrote about things he misses about Rich Mullins. One of them says, I miss that Rich read the Bible not to understand God, but to encounter him. And that's my 
encouragement to you is as we practice these disciplines, it's not, I'm going to say it one last time, it's not about comparing ourselves to each other. It's not about appearing more holy to anybody or even appearing more holy to God. It's about encountering God. It's approaching our Bible reading, expecting to hear from God, approaching prayer and giving and all the other things that we do, expecting God to change us, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And God loves to respond to that kind of integrity. God loves to respond when we throw it all at his feet and we say, hold me, Jesus. This morning, you have a chance to respond to this like we always give you. Maybe you want to practice the spiritual discipline of secrecy and just keep it to yourself. I'll respect that. That tends to be the most popular way to do these invitations on Sunday after Sunday. But maybe you need to make it public. There's nothing wrong with that. It's all about why you make it public. It's all about why you come forward. It's all about what God is actually calling you and what's going on in your own head. I invite you to respond with integrity to God this morning. Whatever it is, do it. If he's asking you to do something this morning, do that as we stand and sing.